So, all right, we're going to go ahead and begin our class. Uh, we're continuing on in our study of the feeding of the five thousand. And uh, Matthew, let's uh, start in Matthew chapter fourteen. Matthew chapter fourteen. Jesus heard of it. Do you remember what of it is? What what did Jesus hear? Matthew 14, 14. verse 14. Okay. What was the context of this miracle? The historical context that was uh, took place uh, just before this miracle. Yes. So John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod the Tetrarch. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion towards them, and he healed their sick. And when it was even, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart, give ye them to eat. But they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake, and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up all the fragments that remained, twelve baskets full, and they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. And uh, so this is the this is the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, it's, it's a very significant miracle in that it is the only miracle that is recorded in all um, four of the Gospels. So that's it's kind of strange when you think about it that all four of the Gospels uh, that's the only miracle that's recorded. You, maybe you think it was the, the wedding feast at Cana when Jesus' first public miracle when he turned the water into wine. Or uh, maybe the raising of somebody from the dead, something like that. You would think that might be the first miracle, but no, it's this one. And uh, we discussed some of the reasons uh, for that and the uh, previous things. Uh, I love that fan blowing on me, but it's blowing my stuff all over the place. Um, let me just say something about uh, the, the four Gospels. If you're not aware of it, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. And that simply means they say a lot of the same thing. They have, I don't know the exact percentage, but it's something like 45 or 50 percent of the material in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is... It's, include, it's, it's found in all, all three of them. And uh, some of them have a little bit more, some of them have a little bit less. Um, they also tend to be, well, Luke especially, chronological. That is, they start from the early days of Christ up until his crucifixion, and it just goes on in chronological fashion. Um, uh, but John is different. 
John is structured around uh, six sermons that Jesus preached. And most of the Gospel of John is those six sermons. And they're all unique to John. And so John's Gospel is something like 80% uh, only, you can only read about it in the Gospel of John. And people have asked, well, why are there four Gospels? Why did we need four Gospels? Why isn't one enough? And uh, the, the, the obvious answer, I think, is that when you look at a house, depending on which direction on the compass you look at it from, it's a completely different view. It's still the same house. The house hasn't changed, but if you looked at the house that I grew up in, in Hamilton, Michigan, it was actually over Isle Township, uh, but if you looked at that house from the north, and then you looked at it from the south, you wouldn't even know it was the same house. It's probably that way with most houses, unless you live in those you know, houses that are all cookie-cutter houses in some suburb. But we lived out on a farm, and so each side of the house that you looked at from the different points of the compass gave you a very different uh, viewpoint uh, and perspective on the house. And that's what the Gospel does. It looks at Christ from all four points of the compass. And also, uh, if you look at uh, um, the, the audiences of each of the four Gospels, they all had a different audience. Matthew was writing to the Jews, and Matthew clearly was showing that Jesus was king of the Jews. He was, by right, the only person who could have sat upon the throne of David and reigned as king over Israel. He was a direct descendant from both his mother and his father of King David, and therefore he was the only one, he was the only one in Israel that was entitled to be called king. But Mark was writing to Romans. He was writing to people that were uh, pagans and that had a, a whole bunch of uh, different kinds of gods and and they also uh, had this idea about law because Roman law you know it still influences how laws are made today with the with the Roman Senate and everything uh, so so uh, Mark's gospel was written to Romans Luke's gospel was written to Greeks because Luke probably was Greek he's the only writer in the New Testament that we know probably wasn't a Jew he was he was a Greek and uh, also, Luke was a physician, and so his gospel is the most chronological one. It's also the most scientific one. He touches upon many scientific and uses medical terms that none of the other gospel writers use. But John, John was writing to the whole world. And John emphasizes the world, especially in John chapter 3, in verse 16, for God so loved the world. But it's not just in that one verse, which is the key verse of the whole Bible. It, it's, it's over and over again in the writings of John, in, in John's Gospel, as well as in his three epistles, and in the book of Revelation, you find John's emphasis in writing to the whole world and showing that Jesus is the Savior who's sufficient to take away the sins of the world. And so each of the Gospel writers had a specific audience and they write to that. And there are other things that we could get into, you know, as well. Uh, if you know the book of Daniel, you know that uh, Daniel saw, had a vision and he saw, he saw a beast and it had a head like, you know, a lion and uh, 
what was the other ones? A, a leopard and uh, a bear, and then the other one was uh, just some kind of beast. But uh, all of those fourfold things that you see in Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar's vision, he had that he had that uh, uh, statue with the golden head and silver breasts and the bronze trunk and legs, and then the the feet and toes were were part brass and part clay. Uh, all the, that fourfold emphasis that we find throughout the Bible uh, showing completeness is, is, I think, why we have the four Gospels. Uh, but the miracle of the 5,000 is very interesting. It's, it, it is, Jesus had another miracle, and I'm going to talk about that in the service this morning, the feeding of 4,000. And that took place probably about six or eight months after this and uh, so let's uh, let's consider this uh, I don't want to take the time to go back and say the things that I already saw but but uh, our text uh, specifically says that that coming out of the boat the Lord saw a great multitude so when he was departing by ship and uh, and then he was he saw the multitude that were coming towards him and and although he had uh, told the disciples to get in the ship. His intent was to get away from the crowd. When he seen the crowd, he didn't uh, get angry. He didn't, he didn't pout. He didn't, uh, you know, uh, say, oh, they're ruining my plans. I wanted a little bit of R&R &R time and, and uh, time to grieve the loss of John the Baptist, who was, aside from being his forerunner, was also his cousin. And uh, uh, he, he didn't get that. Uh, Instead, he looked at them and he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. And uh, he allowed their needs to become his priority. And uh, the title of this series that I'm going to be teaching on in Sunday mornings here, uh, for at least for a little while, it is If Christ Were Our Teacher. And uh, I, want us to see, I want us to see things from the perspective that Christ would teach him. Because we don't always do that. Sometimes we see things from the perspective of our, of our respective cultures. And sometimes we see things uh, from uh, maybe because we're Baptist born, Baptist bred, I'll be Baptist when I'm dead, you know, that we see things from that Baptist perspective. But, but is that necessarily how Christ would see them? And uh, so uh, I want us to look at, at passages like this. And, of course, I'm going to give a everyone the opportunity to, to share their opinion too at different points along the way and uh, so this is ministry ministry is not always convenient right sometimes you have to do ministry when you're tired sometimes you have to do ministry when you're hungry sometimes you have to do ministry when people bother you sometimes you have to do ministry when you're grieving sometimes you have to do ministry when you're hurting and uh, that's ministry. Ministry is putting the needs of others before the needs of ourselves. Uh, lots of people uh, don't come to church on Sunday morning because they're tired. But somebody who loves the Lord and loves other people is going to be here even if they're tired. They're going to be here even if they stub their toe and it hurts. They're going to be here even if they have a headache. They're going to be here because they believe the Bible. And uh, so... Uh, the Lord Jesus, he may have rested in the boat when, when it was sailing across the lake, um, 
But whatever, uh, I, I like what Spurgeon writes. He, he said of the crowds, they came unasked, and he received them tenderly, he blessed them graciously, and at length he fed them bountifully. And that's ministry. That's ministry. Ministry is spiritual work that God wants us to be diligent in doing. He also wants us to preserve our sanity and, do, and our personal spiritual well-being. So how do you think that can be accomplished in a church when, we, when I emphasize that, well, we need to do this even when we're tired. We need to do it even when our back hurts. We need to do it even when we have a toothache. Oh, but, but at the same time, we also need uh, to be, we also need to have, not, not burn our candle from the both, both ends. Any thoughts, any comments? Any any personal experiences? <clears throat> personal experiences. Um, I think in my my personal character, I'm more lean to put my needs behind the last. I tend to cater to other people's <clears throat> needs more than I to cater to my own even at the expenses of my own well-being. Yeah, I think that's one of the everybody's things. different. Yeah. Everybody's different, and some people, some people just by their personality, they're people pleasers, and some people are a little bit more, how should we say, less sympathetic. Yeah, and and a little more. Uh, I'm not saying that self-centered, but there are a lot of people that because of their thoughts on discipline, self-discipline. If, if they see somebody who isn't getting everything done, well, they simply aren't, aren't doing time management right. And, well, maybe that's right, maybe that's right, but everybody's different. And there is no right or wrong answer on this. We all have to do what we feel like the Spirit is leading us to do. And, but that for some people means a really tiny of any percentage of their time is devoted to ministry. And for other people, it means a very tiny percentage of their time is devoted to their personal growth and well-being. And neither one of those are very balanced. And so we need to, I think, uh, take times where we get away and we can uh, think about our own life in light of what God's Word teaches that we ought to be doing. And uh, I think it does press home the need for good time management skills because time is more precious than we realize. And uh, those who are young think that you have a limited supply of time. And I remember, it seems like only yesterday, mm -hmm. uh, I remember when I was in high school thinking, man, the year 2000 comes, I'll be, like, I'll be like 35 years old. That's really old. And now I think, 35 years old, that's really young. <laughs> time, just it just flies. And it's more precious, and we'll never probably grasp the value of it until we have none. Now, a second important lesson I think is uh, discovered uh, in is it verse 15 here. 
that Jesus saw that evening was approaching after spending the whole day healing their sick and you remember that the Gospel of Luke says also uh, teaching the kingdom of God and so he wasn't just healing the sick which is a good thing to do uh, he was also teaching the kingdom which means he was telling people how how they should repent of their sins and turn in faith believing what God has said and uh, also we pointed out that it's important not to not to confuse the kingdom of God and the church because those things are different in the Bible the Bible always talks about the church at Jerusalem or the church at Corinth or the church at Thessalonica the church at Rome and it's the people not the building that are the church and so this church could get up and all walk out of here and we could go to a park and the church would be in the park not in this building because the church is the people but I can see all the people the church has officers the church is constituted the church takes votes in Matthew chapter 18 if a man doesn't hear the church then what's supposed to happen he's supposed to be put out of the church so a church is not a universal invisible mysterious thing a church is a literal physical thing and the kingdom of God however Jesus said the kingdom cometh not by hearing or not, not you in other words you don't say it's here or it's there it's within you and so what most people think of when they hear the word church is really not the church it's the kingdom of God when you get saved when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and believe his word then you get saved and you become part of the kingdom of God but the, the church is entered into through baptism through believers baptism and and uh, that's why in the Bible people got saved then they got baptized then they were added to the church and it was never any other way they were never saved added to the church and then baptized which is what most people say now people say now you get you get saved and you're added to the church well that's that's not really what the Bible says and so uh, uh, that's it's important to understand that's what Jesus was doing ministry to him was helping people physically but he was also more importantly helping them spiritually and helping them deal with their sins so that they didn't have to uh, uh, be condemned to hell upon their death now the disciples were not blind as some Christians evidently are because they looked around them and they saw hungry people and so they went to the Lord and uh, now their solution was the wrong solution they said Lord you have to send these people away they need to go and buy food and and we never help people by sending them away from Christ and Jesus didn't want that either uh, and so Jesus saw the multitudes and uh, he saw them as sheep having no shepherd and a good shepherd never scatters the flock instead he'll feed them and of course uh, the disciples they didn't have the resources to do this and we're going to talk about that in our business meeting because we lack resources but you know what God does not our resources are limited but Christ has no limit in his available resources and uh, I, I, I know I probably people probably get tired of hearing me talk about how God has met my needs 
over the years, like when Brenda and I were in Bible college just shortly after we got married, and we were in Bible college, and we were living in this old ratty house trailer that had certain spots on the floor you couldn't step on, and your leg would go through the floor. And uh, it, was, it was a really dumpy old trailer, and uh, uh, we had no, no money to wash our clothes. We didn't have a washer or dryer. Now, when I lived in the dorms, what I would do is I would go to the library and I would go to the uh, front desk and there was a couch there and I'd, I'd turn the cushions over. And I always found enough change in the library couches and the, and, uh, the, the, front, the front desk couch to be able to wash my clothes. But when you live in a trailer, you know, about 10 miles away from the college, then, then you, you, you can't do that. And we didn't have even enough money. My wife would wash the, the clothes in the, in the bathroom sink and then hang them up to dry and it was August and it was like this August here and they would take about a week to dry and the whole house would smell like mold and uh, and so one day we were praying and, I, and, and, and praying together and I, I prayed and I said Lord I said I, we don't have any money even to take our clothes just to dry at the laundromat you know just Back then you could dry dryers, you could put dimes in dryers and you get about like five minutes for a dime. But we didn't even have any dimes to pop in a dryer and try to get those clothes dry. I said, Lord, I know it'd be, it wouldn't be any more difficult for you to give us a washer and dryer than it would be for you to give us a little bit, of, a few dollars so that we could dry our clothes. And uh, Lord, I need you to give us that. And we got up from our prayer and about 30 seconds later, somebody knocked on our door. And I went and went over to the other side of the trailer and, and uh, opened up the door. And there was a guy I'd never seen before. Never seen him before in my life. And he said, hi. He said, my name is so-and-so. And I live just down the street a little bit in that trailer over there. And he said, uh, I heard that you kids are in Bible college and you're... You're uh, studying to go into the ministry, and he said, uh, my, my wife and I are Christians. They weren't Baptists, but they were Christian people. And he said, uh, I just wanted to tell you that we're praying for you. And that was an encouragement to me because I never met this guy, and somebody I had never even met, now I know that he's praying for us. And we talked for about 10 minutes, and then uh, said goodbye, and he, and he turned and was walking down the driveway, and he said, oh, wait, wait, just a minute. He said, do you kids need a washer and dryer? He said, we bought a new washer and dryer. There's nothing wrong with our old one. We just bought new ones. Our old ones are in that shed right there. Do you guys need a washer and dryer? If you want them, you can have them. Just like that. Now, we had to pray nine years for, a, for a, our first son. God let us go over nine years before we had children. But the first time I prayed for a washer and dryer, I got it like 15 minutes later. And God is good. And God has done that in our life, in our ministry. He's done it over and over. And sometimes God wants us to persevere in prayer. And he wants us, he wants us to be faithful in prayer and just to keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. But sometimes God answers our prayers right away. And God is not limited. There's no limit to His available resources. And He can give His people what they need. Sometimes He does it right away. Sometimes He makes us keep on praying for a while. But the important thing is that we pray and trust Him. And that's what this, this feeding of the 5,000, uh, it shows us that 
God can take a few loaves and two fishes, which, by the way, came from a little lab, not from the disciples. And he can use that to feed probably, if you figure that most of those people had, most of those men had a wife and a couple children, it wasn't 5,000 people, it was probably closer to 20,000. And they had 12 baskets left over. And so uh, I just uh, want to stress that. All right, I think we're out of time. And uh, so we will go ahead and uh, close in prayer and uh, get ready for our service this morning. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for each one that's here for our Sunday school time in which we can see uh, the magnified grace of God and how you do far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And uh, Lord, you gave us something greater than a washer or dryer, greater than a, a fish sandwich on a, on a sunny on a sunny pasture in, in, in Israel, you, you gave us your son to be our savior. And Lord, I pray that that gift would be received by all who hear of it. Help us to be faithful in ministering as you ministered. And uh, Lord, to preach the gospel so that people can get saved. Lord, would you bless this day as we have an important business meeting and help our church to be united and uh, Lord, full of faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen.